Good morning. It's good to see you today. It's a beautiful day. We're very grateful for your presence. We're always thankful for the opportunity to be together. Very thankful to you who are visiting. As always, we invite you to come back. We're always very grateful for those who come our way, and many of you have been here before, and we certainly want you to know that we, we are appreciative of your presence. We count you as an honored guest. We'd love to have you come and be a part of the church family here if you're looking for a church home. We're going to be looking today at some questions posed by Jesus, and I want to invite you to consider with me some of those questions in a moment. I do want to just very quickly mention the fact that uh, I know that spring is right around the corner and a lot of things are going on and so I know it can be a very busy time as spring and then later summer comes our way, but please don't forget the Lord this spring or this summer as you get busy, but do your best to be here every time the doors are open. I think it'll bless your life and your presence will bless our our life, and so we want you to be here. I want you to imagine, if you can, Jesus being here today and having the opportunity to spend time with Him. Imagine Jesus shadowing you this week. Wherever you go, He goes. How would you feel about that? Would it make you nervous? Would you be anxious? Would you be glad? Would you be grateful to have Jesus as your companion for the next week? Somebody said not long ago that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are some 300 plus questions posed by Jesus. So imagine you're with Jesus this week. Wherever you go, He goes. Whatever you do, He does. And during the course of the next week, you have the opportunity to get to know Him better. And through a series of conversations, the Lord does to you what He did so often in the first century. He asked questions. The questions that Jesus asked in the first century are just as powerful today as they were then. The questions were personal and profound. And really, when you begin to look at the many questions that Jesus posed, they begged an answer. And they beg an answer today. And so what I want us to do in our study today, let's talk for a minute or two about some burning questions from Jesus. And there's no way that we could look at all the questions in in one hour. We couldn't do it in a week. But I do want to just note some very specific questions, what I would call fundamental questions, that Jesus asked at various times during his earthly ministry, and you think about Jesus spending some three, three and a half years in a ministry. And over the course of those three, three and a half years, he got to know a lot of people. Specifically, he got to know the apostles, his chosen 12, intimately. 
So over the course of the next few days, you're going to spend time with Jesus. And He's going to be asking you some questions. And you've got to answer them. And so the question is, how will you answer Him? I want to begin by first calling to your attention one of the more profound, powerful questions posed by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 16, in verse 15, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Now, by way of context, Jesus was in the coast of Caesarea Philippi. When he came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples first, who do people, who do men say that I am? He wanted to know, okay, what are people saying about me? I think that's a fair question. You know, sometimes we want to know, okay, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about this topic or that topic or this particular thing or that? So Jesus wanted to know, okay, what are people saying about me? And so they said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some are saying that you're, some are saying that you're John the Baptist. Others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And so then Jesus turns and in a much more personal way directs their attention away from what people were saying to, okay, I want to know what you think. So in verse 15 he said, but who do you say that I am? Suppose Jesus in his time with you this week, ask that question. Who do you think I am? What would you say? I can just imagine what some people would say. Some would say, well, you're a great teacher. Others would say, I have noticed that you're a person of compassion. Some might say, you are a social revolutionist. I mean, you have the ability and you have shown over and over again a willingness to take on social issues and break down barriers. What would you say in terms of his identity? You know, sometimes we talk about Simon Peter and the fact that Peter often spoke before he thought. In this context, Peter had it right. Because Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So if Jesus were to ask you, who do you say I am? Would you say he's the Christ, the Son of the living God? In John chapter 9, we have an account of Jesus giving sight to a man that was born blind. And this created a lot of controversy among the Jews in that day. As a matter of fact, there is a lot of dialogue that goes on between the Jews and the man who was given sight. So much so that they even interrogated his own family members. So after all was said and done, Jesus finds this man 
And he asked him this question, do you believe in the Son of God? And do you know what he said? In John chapter 9, he asked, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And here's what Jesus said. It is he who is talking to you. In other words, I'm the Son of God. And here's what that man said, Lord, I believe. And then John says, and he worshiped him. Is that who Jesus is to you? Is he deity, God in the flesh, God incarnate? You remember in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And the Word, according to John, became flesh, dwelt among us. And John said, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So if Jesus were to ask you this week, who do you say that I am? Would you say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God? I want you to think about this for a minute. What you think about the Christ will ultimately impact your destiny one day. Did you know that? Some people say, well, it really doesn't matter if I believe Jesus is the Christ. I mean, I understand he was a great religious leader. By all accounts, he was... He was a social revolutionist, tremendous teacher, a rabbi, somebody that did a lot of good things. He had tremendous, had a tremendous desire to help people. Here's what Jesus said, unless you believe that I am the self-existent one, he said, you'll die in your sins. So what you think about the Christ is very important. It is a personal question, isn't it? It is a powerful question. There is a second question I, wanna, I want you to consider with me today. And again, we're just spending time with Jesus this week. And where we go, He goes, and what we do, He's doing. And we're spending a lot of quality time with Him. And let's just imagine we're, we're sitting down eating dinner one night this week. And the Lord looks across the table and as we say eye to eye, face to face, He asks this question, do you love me? What would you say? Do you remember in John chapter 21, the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. He appears to the disciples they're out fishing. They eat breakfast with him, and Peter's present. Peter, you remember him, the one that had so boldly declared that though all forsake the Lord, he said, I'll stand by you. I'll never deny you. Well, you know the story, don't you? Peter denied the Lord Jesus. Did so three times, didn't he? So here's Jesus. And it's time to talk to Peter. And so he asked Peter. He said, Simon, son of, John, son of John, do you love me? Now, in our translations, 
we lose the force of what Jesus is asking because there are different terms that are used in the original for love. When the Lord asked the question, Simon, do you love me? He's using the word agape here, which would be the highest form of love, that sacrificial, self-giving love. And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And the word that Peter uses is not agape. Peter said, Lord, you know I like you. Peter uses the word phileo, which is brotherly love, a term of affection, fondness, endearment. And so Jesus is asking him in a very pointed way, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I like you. You know I like you. And so then the Lord asks a second time, Simon, do you love me? He uses again agape love. Do you love me? And Peter again, Lord, you know I love you, phileo love. You know I'm fond of you. You know I have great affection for you. You know that you're dear to me. So then the Lord asked a third time. Remember, he's denied him three times. Three times Jesus is going to ask him, do you love me? But the third time Jesus asked, do you love me? And Jesus now uses the word that Peter used, phileo. Peter, do you love me? Am I really dear to you? Do you really have affection and fondness for me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. So you're sitting across the table from Jesus. And he looks you right in the eyes and he asks you point blank, do you love me? What would you say? Would you say, Lord, I like you. I, th I think a lot of you. I sure appreciate you. Let me tell you what, years ago, and I'm talking about years and years, I was just a, I was just a teenager. I remember a married woman, and I was, I was present on this occasion, I remember a married woman asked her husband, or rather, let me just back up, a married woman said to her husband, I love you. And you know what he said in response? Not one word. Now, you know, sometimes it's not what we say, but what we don't say, right? Now, maybe, maybe this gentleman, maybe he just did not echo his sentiments verbally. But I remember that to this day. She said, I love you, and he didn't say a word. How would you feel about that? If your mate said to you, I love you, but you didn't say a word. So imagine Jesus asking you the question, do you love me? Now, how many times have we said, talk is cheap, isn't it? 
Would you say the Lord loves you? Would you be willing to go on record today? If you were in a court of law and you were sworn in and you promised to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, would you place your hand on the Bible and say, I believe God loves me? I would. Because I believe that. You know, Paul said God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I know God loves me. And God did not just declare His love for me, but He demonstrated that by sending Jesus to die on my behalf, right? Isn't that what the Scripture says? Didn't Jesus say, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends? Yes, he did. Paul said, God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. That is inclusive of all of us. I am willing to affirm God loves me. But you know, it's one thing to affirm the fact that God loves me, but it's another thing to affirm I love Him. So we're sitting across the table and Jesus looks into your eyes and He wants to know, do you love me? Do you love me? What would you say? I said a minute ago, talk is cheap, isn't it? How do we show our love for God? How do we show our love for the Lord? Jesus said, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. John said, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. Now, John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we love Him because He first loved us. So the Lord's looking in your eyes and He wants to know, do you love me? It's one thing to say you love Him, it's another thing to show it. You know, there are, there are a lot of homes all across our nation in which husbands and wives express their love for one another verbally, but by their actions, they sure don't show it. I mean, they say one thing, but they do another. So when it comes to your love for the Lord, does your life back up the love that you have for Him? Now, Jesus said we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Do you love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind? In other words, He is your everything. We sing the song, don't we? He is my everything. Is He your everything? Do you love Him above all others, above any and everything in this world? Jesus is looking into your eyes and He wants to know, do you love me? What would you say? Would you say like Peter did, I like you, Lord. I like you. I sure appreciate all the things that you've done for me. I appreciate your care, your concern. I'm so grateful that you want to be my friend. 
Would we be evasive? Would you be evasive? Would you try to change the subject, change the course of the conversation? I don't really want to talk about my love for you. Why? Because I really don't love you like I should. A third question. Luke 6, verse 46. Luke 6, 46 is closely allied to the previous question. In this context, Jesus asked another powerful question. Not just powerful, but personal. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Let me just pause there for a minute. The word Lord in the original carries with it the idea of a ruler. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, when Peter preached on Pentecost Day that great sermon, the Bible says in Luke 2, or rather in Acts 2, verse 36, he said, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. The intent is that when we obey the gospel, we make the Lord... We make Jesus, the Lord, the ruler of our life. So here's what Jesus is asking. Why do you say that I'm your ruler? Why do you say that I am your Lord, the one who is reigning over you? And do not the things which I say. Gotcha. I mean, isn't that what Jesus is asking? Why, do you, why are you going around town saying that I'm your Lord, that I'm your disciple, but I don't listen to what you say? Not only do I not listen to what you say, I'm not doing what you say. What was it Jesus asked? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If the Lord Jesus were with you this week and you have already had a couple of very powerful personal questions thrown your way and he's wanted to know, who do you say that I am? And then to intensify the conversation, he wants to know, do you love me? But now he wants to know, okay, why are you saying that you're my... You're my everything, or rather, I'm your everything. I'm your Lord, but you're not doing what I say. Would Jesus, would Jesus be correct in asking you that question? You know, the Bible says that we're to be students of His Word. Paul said, study to show yourselves approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How much time do you spend in His Word? If you want to know more about Jesus and you want to really deepen your relationship to Jesus, then do you know what that means? You're going to spend time reading about Him. You will never know Him like you could and like you should if you don't spend time in His Word. So to claim that He is the Lord of our life, that He's the one reigning and ruling in our life, 
would say to all of us, we've got to know something about His will. How can I keep His commandments? How can I live in accordance with His will if I don't know anything about Him? I don't know anything about His Word. If Jesus were to ask you, who do you say I am? Do you love me? Why are you calling me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing the things which I say? Did the Lord not desire that we assemble every first day of the week and worship Him in spirit and in truth? Yes. But I don't do that regularly. Do I love Him? Is He indeed my everything? I mean, those are powerful questions, aren't they? You know, Jesus said, listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What Jesus is saying is that the prerequisite to entering the kingdom of heaven is doing the will of the Father. That's why Jesus asked the question in the first century, Why are you calling me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things which I say? You want to go to heaven? Yes, I do, but I don't follow His word. Let me tell you what, you're headed the wrong direction. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? Very quickly, final question. In Matthew chapter 20, we read of Jesus departing Jericho. Jericho, a very old city. As he's leaving town, there are two men who are blind. Upon hearing that Jesus is passing through, they cry out to him. Son of David, have mercy on us. Now the text tells us in Matthew chapter 20 that Jesus stood still. Imagine Jesus is walking down the road and you're crying out to him and immediately he stops and gives you a minute of his time. And here's what Jesus asked them. What do you want me to do for you? So we're with Jesus this week. And he's been asking us some questions and so the week's coming to a close. And he looks you right in the eyes. And of all the things that he could have asked, here's what he asked. What do you want me to do for you? What would you say? When I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years of age, I lived in Chattanooga, I grew up in Chattanooga. And I lived in a suburb called East Ridge. And like Memphis, DeSoto County, there are different suburbs around town. So I lived in East Ridge, and Highway 41 went straight through the little community that I lived in. And we had a lot of little stores, department stores, grocery stores, etc. It was a pretty good-sized town. And so I would often ride my bicycle into town, as we say. So I ride my bicycle into town one day, and I'm probably 11, 12 years of age, and I ran into my grandfather. He was working in town that day. And so when I met him, he said, let's go in this store. It was a toy store. So we walk in the toy store, and here's what he said to me. Never had anybody say this to me in my life. My folks didn't even say this to me. He said, look, you look around. He said, you pick out anything you want, and I'll buy it for you. Now, how about that? Man, that'll blow you away, won't it? 
Whatever you want, I'll buy it. I don't even remember what I got now. But I've never forgotten it either. It's like, get, it's like getting the keys to the kingdom, isn't it? So what Jesus is asking these blind men, in effect, is, what do you want me to do for you? Now, what they wanted was the restoration of their sight. But if Jesus were to ask you today, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? I mean, they're probably a flood of thoughts. And I suspect that there are a lot of things that we could think of. But now think, Jesus is asking you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? You've got to carve it down to one thing. What would it be? You know, one of the beautiful things about having a relationship with the Lord is that we have the privilege of prayer, don't we? I understand that we have to ask in accordance with His will. That's what John said, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. But you just imagine the Lord asking you, what can I do for you? There are probably a lot of things that, that would come to mind. But the privilege and power of prayer. The Hebrew writer said, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but one who has been tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To know that I have the privilege of going before the Father and laying before Him my needs, my wants, my wishes, my hurts as a child of God to acknowledge to Him my sins. And to understand, as John said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to know that as a child of God, I enjoy God's second law of pardon. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? So what would you say? I want to close this morning by asking you, in a very personal way. How'd you answer the Lord? Now, I want to let you in on a secret. What the Lord asks, only you know. It's between you and the Lord, isn't it? It might be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. Let me tell you what, when I think about all the things that I need from the Lord, the greatest need we all have is salvation, isn't it? Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save you. So what would you need to do to become one of His children? First order of business, obey the gospel. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. 
to repent, to turn from a life of sin, to confess His name before others, to be baptized into Christ, knowing that all of your sins are washed away, Acts 2. Verse 38, Acts 22, verse 16. And then to let the Lord put you in His church to be numbered among the saved, to live a faithful life and to know that one day the Lord will bestow on you that crown of life. If you're here tonight, or rather today, and you're a Christian, but your life is not what it ought to be, we have the privilege of praying for one another, don't we? James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you today? Knowing that God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?